This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 765 for release on Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. On WaveScan today... The History of Radio Jingles, Part 1. Opening remarks from Dale Stagg of Reach Beyond Australia at the HFCC B23 Conference in Australia. And our DX report from Bangladesh. Well, many of us grew up listening to radio and have done so all our lives. During that time, we've probably heard thousands of radio jingles, but we don't often think much about how they developed. So we thought we'd investigate. And as a result, this week we're starting a new two-part series on the history of radio jingles. Here's Ray Robinson in Los Angeles to tell us more. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, in the 60s and 70s, no self-respecting Top 40 station would have lasted long without a decent jingles package. But it wasn't always that way. The concept of jingles on the radio began not with station branding, but with the advertising firms on Madison Avenue in New York City. You see, the very first radio jingles were not about the station or the programming at all, but rather about the products they were selling. Commercials of any kind were first allowed on US radio in 1922, but they were generally read live by whoever was on air at the time. That all changed in 1926, when General Mills, the company that made Wheaties breakfast cereal, made broadcasting history by using a Sun commercial for the first time. Companies were not allowed at that time to sell directly through commercials, so this one simply asked, Have you tried Wheaties? Have you commercial was first aired on Christmas Eve 1926, having been distributed to a limited number of stations on acetate discs. Wheaties product sales improved markedly in areas where the musical commercial was heard, whereas in other areas where only text commercials were read out, product sales stagnated. Advertising executives figured that sung commercials would be less boring and possibly a lot more memorable than simple text messages, and so an idea was born. 
Plus, by recording the commercials on acetate discs, they could potentially use celebrity singers and could also guarantee the quality of the commercial played at each radio station. Some commercials proved to be especially successful with one important audience demographic, children. In Europe, in the 1930s, one of the most famous children's programmes on Radio Luxembourg was sponsored by the makers of Ovaltine, and it featured the Ovaltinis singing a very catchy theme tune. This is a programme presented by the makers of Ovaltine, especially to the League of Ovaltinis. And if you're not familiar with Ovaltine, it's a type of hot chocolate drink often given to children at bedtime. I'm sure hundreds of thousands of cans were sold as a result of that pre-war program sponsorship. After the war, distribution of commercials on small spools of reel-to-reel tape became easier and less expensive. Here are some you might remember from the 50s and early 60s. This one for Schick stainless steel blades was used on both sides of the Atlantic. You Schick stainless steel blades long last and Schick stainless steel blades long last and from the new thinking folks it's Schick shaving smooth and comfortable body quick double edger injector so take your pick You Schick stainless steel blades long last and Schick stainless steel blades I remember Ajax as the White Tornado from around 1970, but way before that in the 50s, it was the Foaming Cleanser. Use Ajax, the Foaming Cleanser. Clean pots and pans, just like a whiz. Ajax cuts grease faster than any other leading cleanser. Use the pain, the elbow pack, and you start cleaning with Ajax. Ajax really polishes as it cleans. So use Ajax, the foaming cleanser. Bump the dirt, right down the drain. The Ford Motor Company got in on the act with an adaptation of a popular song from the time. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the eye. And not to be outdone, Chevrolet employed the celebrity talent of singer Dinah Shaw. USA in your Chevrolet, America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA, America's the greatest land of all. On a highway or a road along a levee, 
performance is sweeter. Nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a date today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. And of course, if you were out in your car, you always wanted to look your best. Remember Brill Cream? A little dabble, do ya? Brill Cream, Brill Cream, Brill Cream. And finally, one that I remember very vividly from the 60s in the UK was for a paint manufacturer, Silexine. Silexine emulsion, Silexine rust. Get it from the factory at half the cost. Put it on your paintbrush, then it can be seen. Wonderful, marvelous Silexine. And you know I could still sing that word perfect today. I heard it so many times on the offshore stations of the 60s. Well, you get the idea. There are hundreds more like this for the likes of Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, Martini, Sunsilk Shampoo, Stimmerol Chewing Gum, Murray Mints, Nabisco, Jell-O and the list goes on. One of the most famous commercial jingle production companies was Pam's Productions Inc. based in Dallas, Texas. PAMS actually stood for Production, Advertising and Merchandising Service, and when it was founded by Bill Meeks in 1951, its primary business by far was creating advertising jingles like the ones I've just played. Bill Meeks was a musician who played with a couple of bands in the Dallas area, and since 1947 he'd also been working at Gordon McClendon's radio station KLIF. There, he'd been responsible for putting together musical promotional spots for the station sponsors. While Bill was producing spots for products, he came up with the idea to do the same for KLIF itself. The reaction from both sponsors and the KLIF listening audience was so positive that he decided in 1951 to form his own production company, PAMS. In 1954, KLIF switched away from its varied music programming approach and became one of the very first stations to adopt the new Top 40 format and to perfect it with the help of Bill Meek's jingles. The more Bill worked on his promotions, the more he realised that radio stations were in need of better promotion to set themselves apart, and that's where he began to focus his major efforts. His original approach was to find musicians and singers and then come up with short jingles with generic lyrics. He'd then package these into a series of 10 each and then make them available to stations both near and far, eventually coast to coast and in Canada too. When a station would receive the latest PAM series package, station personnel would select their favourites and then compose some lyrics to customise the jingle for local station identity. They sent their input to PAMS, where the customised vocals would be sung over the original musical backgrounds, and then the final product was returned to the station on reel-to-reel tape. But in the 1960s, technology changed when cartridge tape players became available, playing short recordings on a loop of tape that always stopped at the right place to be played again. The Fidelipak cartridge was first developed in 1954 by inventor George Eish, and tape players that could play those cartridges were first introduced commercially by Collins Radio Company at the 1959 NAB convention. Other competitors quickly followed, such as the now infamous Spotmaster. Carts, as they were familiarly called, were much easier for stations to use, since reel-to-reel tapes no longer had to be loaded and queued up, 
And that also made the concept of self-op possible, which gave the on-air presenter much more control over the programme and also saved radio stations a lot of expense. So as cart machines began to proliferate in the early 1960s, Pam's jingles caught on like wildfire, and stations across the United States jumped on the opportunity for this exciting new approach to branding. And with more and more stations switching to the Top 40 format in the late 50s and early 60s, demand for Bill Meek's radio branding jingles increased so much that by 1964, station jingles had become Pam's primary business, overtaking that of commercials. Here's an example of a jingle for KLIF 1190 from Pam's Series 17 in 1961. KLIF 1190 And here are a couple from Pam's Series 27 in 1963. KLIF 1190 Where the action is Get a positive and if you didn't grow up in Dallas, I'm sure you can replace those cool letters in your mind with whatever station was using Pam's jingles in the town where you lived. Well, when we continue the history of radio jingles in two weeks' time, we'll look at how the business developed, and in particular, how jingle packages were used overseas in the 1960s and 70s by the European offshore stations, by the BBC, by Radio Luxembourg, and many others. But for now, back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray, for that trip down memory lane. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Next Sunday, October 29th, marks the beginning of the B-23 shortwave broadcast season, which will continue until the last Sunday in March 2024. The High Frequency Coordination Conference, or HFCC, B-23 conference, took place early last month in the picturesque city of Servers Paradise on the Gold Coast of Australia, about an hour south of Brisbane on the country's east coast. Over 50 representatives of shortwave stations from around the world took part in the meeting. Wavescan was there, and over the next several weeks we'll have a series of reports from Australia, beginning today with the conference opening remarks by Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond Australia, which hosted the B23 conference. Good morning, everyone. Uh, On behalf of uh, Reach Beyond, welcome to the HFCC B23 conference. And Ken, could you pass me my glasses, please? <laughs> we all live there. <laughs> uh, that's better. Uh, I'm Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond, and I, along with our team, are very pleased to be able to host this important event for shortwave broadcasters around the world and those organisations and people that support us. And I'll do some introductions shortly, but just a few words I'd, I'd like to share with you initially. Nearly 15 years ago, when I started this role as CEO, I was told in no uncertain terms that I had signed up for a job or signed up for a role that involved the use of a media that was redundant or well on the way to being so. How wrong they were. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is meant to be a a great career change for me and I've signed up for a job that doesn't exist because shortwave is going to be dead soon. So I thought I'd better do some more research on this 
and quickly realised that shortwave was far from dead as a media. How wrong they were. And as we begin finalising another semester of broadcasting via shortwave, we are reaching across thousands of miles or kilometres, often into far-flung places where reliable communication through other forms of media remains difficult. I was uh, scouting around the HFCC website again recently, and I remember a friend of mine that uh, has attended these conferences in the past, he would use the phrase, phrase, it's not either or, Dale, it's both and. We're moving into a phase where you just don't discard one form of media for another. And uh, I read with interest again, as a good reminder, from the HFCC website, and uh, I'll just share a few passages. The HFCC believes in the synergy of delivery platforms and not competition between them. Each platform has specific properties and was indispensable in specific context situations. It was wrong to exclude one technology, for example, shortwave radio, because there was not enough money. Opposing new and emerging delivery platforms of international broadcasting is not on our agenda. On the contrary, our principal aim is the creation of a balanced system of content delivery where the respective technologies do not compete but complement each other. And certainly that's what we've found at Reach Beyond as we look to develop other forms of media, the use of other forms of media, that it's about complementing each other and finding that balance. The emergence of a new media technology has never replaced an old one and all technologies are capable of existing side by side. Will shortwave coordination continue? Shortwave frequency management and coordination is the HFCC's core activity and this will continue. The HFCC will also provide listeners with free access to accurate frequency and schedule information. This is an important part of the promotion of shortwave listening among the public. And to summarise that portion from the HFCC, it's not about either or, it's about both and. There's something about being able to turn that dial, to flick that switch, to tune into your favourite program, or just have a familiar voice that connects us. I think we'd all agree that we're in the biz business of connecting people, of keeping in touch. Only recently I was speaking to people in the far north of Australia, and many of you would know that our broadcast facility is in far northwestern Australia in a very remote area. And they were lamenting the lack of a reliable, trusted voice, a voice that could be relied on to deliver news on what affects what is an incredibly vast, remote, and at times difficult part of our country. To give you an idea of how vast, one of our neighbours, now our property up in uh, where our broadcast facility is, is not that big, it's several hundred acres, uh, but our nearest neighbour, or our adjoining neighbour, is a huge cattle station. Uh, and I was trying to get my head around this, it occupies 3,675 square kilometres, or in miles, that's 1,419 square miles. That's our neighbour up in Western Australia, and they're able to handle anywhere between 15,000 to 20,000 head of cattle uh, across that region. And so that was the lament for some of the from some of the people that are 
uh, that are managing some of these, these remote stations that lack of solid communication and they were highlighting the fact that shortwave uh, was uh, non-existent now across northern Australia. But I, I love the feedback, the letters, the QSL card requests that we, we get every week. They often bring a smile to my face as well, particularly when we get those, those emails or those requests that are straight to the point, but very polite, advising us that we were 30 seconds late for a particular program or that we accidentally repeated a program. Uh, I, I enjoy getting those, those emails. Always respectful. That was Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond Australia, opening the B23 HFCC Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference in Surfers Paradise, Australia. We'll continue with Dale's remarks next week. The Mayor of Leominster and the Deputy Mayor of Ludlow in the United Kingdom attended a special event at Wooferton on October 17th to mark the 80th anniversary of the shortwave transmission station there, operated by Encompass Digital Media. The station was originally built by the BBC during the Second World War to house shortwave radio transmitters. When it officially started broadcasting on October 17, 1943, it had six 50-kilowatt RCA transmitters. The site has been modernized many times over the years and is now capable of providing DRM digital radio programs on shortwave. The Wooferton station has been used to broadcast shortwave radio programs to many parts of the world, including Europe, Asia, North and Central Africa, the Middle East, and South America, for the BBC World Service, as well as for Deutsche Welle, Voice of America, and the Voice of Vietnam, among other international broadcasters. The site is also used for satellite communications and monitoring, and it has a 300-watt transmitter for BBC Hereford and Worcester, as well as a 1-kilowatt FM transmitter for Ludlow commercial station Sunshine Radio. Let's go now to Salhuddin Dalar in Bangladesh. Dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you in October 2023 edition of Bangladesh DX Report in Oviscan. This is Salahuddin Dalar from Rajshahi, Bangladesh. Glad to be back and thanks for listening. The receiving log of different radio stations. 25th September, NSK World Radio, Japan, Bengali service, Japanese language learning program was heard at 1515 UTC on 11655 kHz. This echo was 444. Radio Tehran English service, ID followed by news by OM, was heard at 1530 UTC on 11645 kHz. This echo was 434. CNR2 China Business Radio Chinese talk by OM was heard. At 1545 UTC on 11740 kHz, this echo echoed was 433. Voice of Turkey, Pashto service, music was heard at 1547 UTC on 11765 kHz, this echo echoed was 333. Radio Free Asia, Radio Free Asia, Uyghur language program. A song was heard at 1554 
UTC on 11850 kHz. The SIO code was 444. 26th September. Voice of Wilderness, Task and Korean Talking by OM was heard at 1431 UTC on 9330 kHz. The SIO code was 322. FEBC Radio Filipinas. While's discussion in Chinese was heard at 1435 UTC on 9345 kHz. The SIO code was 433. Voice of Turkey, Arabic program. While's giving ID announcement was heard at 1450 UTC on 17770 kHz. The SIO code was 444. Adventist World Radio Trincomalee Chinese Adventist World Radio Dushanbi Korean service opening announcement was heard at 1500 UTC on 15505 kHz. The SIO code was 444. Vatican Radio Tamil service while presentation report was heard at 1505 UTC on 15490 kHz. The SIO code was 444. Voice of America Botswana English service broader crossing program was heard at 1512 UTC on 15580 kHz. The SIO code was 433. We want to thank Mr. Pradeep Chandra Kundu for sharing his log with us. If you have any comments and suggestion, please write to us to the following email address dxbangla@gmail.com. The address again dxbangla@gmail.com. Okay, I will come with more DX news in the next edition. Till then, take care. Salaudin Dollar, Ratshahi, Bangladesh. Thank you, Sir Houdin. And we had Wavescan today with music of Tevaka, a group of musicians from various Pacific islands that performed songs in the Disney movie Moana. The song is called Kite Fakaulatia. Thanks for listening to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week on WaveScan, the history of broadcasting in Singapore, part two. And we'll hear more from Dale Stagg of Reach Beyond Australia, speaking at HFCC B23. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, 
Good listening, everyone. the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 